talk about him, he, he already, before that happened, he's already telling me that he, he was going to end the game. And I like when he does that because he's, you know, when you do that as a player, you're psyching yourself up. And he's, he's good at that. I said, hey, if, we, if I get a chance to hit, this game is going to end. So he already, had that, he already had that mindset going in. It's not that easy to do that, but it's funny. When he does that, it's, you know, he did what he did. Does something like this I mean, change your frustration on the vaccination thing? No. Having to manage the game totally different? No. At the least, you know, the, the status, you know, the status of, of health is what it is. But is, is that a situation where you felt his absence? Is that safe to say? I mean, we go with the 26 that are here, and we try to get 27 outs, and we didn't do it. It's amazing, you know. Alejandro Kirk gets a pinch hit against Tyler Danish. Springer walks. Hansel Robles comes in. Bichette singles. Vladdy walks it off. Jays win 6-5. Up to that point, Kevin Barker. We were sitting here thinking. Or we weren't sitting here thinking, but we were texting back and forth. We were going to light up the front office's ass because of the bullpen. <laughs> like, we really were. You know, last night... A typical example of it, of, of and, and, and it's it, it's not that the Jays bullpen is depleted because last night or the game before your starter gave you seven innings, but uh, you know basically the Jays the Jays are in a position last night where Charlie Montoyo and Pete Walker spent most of the game trying to avoid using guys as opposed to trying to figure out who to use, which is never a good situation. So here we are, Jays get a lead, Red Sox come back against the bullpen. Trent Thornton's pitching in the seventh inning of a game. All this stuff is happening. We're, we're sitting there. This is all your, your bullpen issues coming home to roost. All of a sudden, we're talking about a walk-off. Laddie's yelling at the crowd, this is my house, this is our house, this is our house. And it's Alex Cora who's answering all the difficult questions. Alex, your team is screwed because two of your guys, one of your guys in particular, one pitcher in particular, doesn't want to get vaccinated. Uh, it's, you can make the case that it's the second time that Tanner Houck has cost the Red Sox a win here, or at least made it difficult for the Red Sox to get a win because, of course, he wasn't up here the first time uh, the Jays and Red Sox faced each other because of the vaccination requirements. It, it really is remarkable how that, that story, the story of last night's game, flipped like that. And now if you're the Red Sox, you're looking at possibly being swept. You've got, you're facing Alec Manoa tonight, and this is the part of your schedule, and we've talked about it. This is the part of the schedule that gets really tough for the Red Sox. They've had kind of an easy run right now. They don't have an easy run from this point on. It, it is, I mean, you want to talk about scripts being flipped, man. That's sure, what happened sure, last sure night. Does, sure does put good, uh, good managers in tough spots when you don't have the right guys that you want to go to in oh, big-time spots, especially on the road. you got a team on the ropes game you probably shouldn't be winning. You know, you the, the other team had to use certain pitchers <laughs> that you would just make you scratch your head. Now, we obviously understand why Trent Thornton was in the game because they really didn't have any other option. No. But for me, they didn't have an option because David Phelps thrown in the game before. The 7 nothing game? Oh, yeah. And the eighth inning just would. I, I understand it's top of the order and you can't sweep a team unless you win game one. But, man, if, if you don't trust other guys with big leads at home, why are they in the big leagues? That's that's what you have to ask yourself mm-hmm. is, if they can't pitch with big leagues at home, then why are they in the big leagues? So it was a, a ton of things. And, yeah, we were preparing ourselves to sort of be Blair and Barker <laughs> on the radio. That it just it didn't – it wasn't – We were going to go Blair and Barker and Ross Atkins, let's face it. It was, it was, a, it was a tough look. And, and now the offense is – 
Sort now it's great. Li- nah, it's great. He's Six for 12 with the runners in scoring position. That looks- Alejandro Kirk fall out of bed right now and get a base hit. There's nothing to worry about. It's really about. amazing what work Kirk does and, and been sitting over there for three and a half hours and comes up and looks like he looked just like he'd been playing we got, the entire game. We got a ton of stuff to talk about, and I want to I want to lead off there because I don't want to they, – they walked off the Red Sox 6-5. They did. So I, I don't want to spend no. the whole time hammering on the front office for where the bullpen is. We can do that in a bit. Uh, but I want to talk about Alejandro Kirk coming off the bench to pinch hit last night. You've said this time and time again – that and you've had experience doing this. Mm-hmm. The, what the hardest thing to do in this game is sit in the bench for eight innings, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> we need you to go up and, and start a rally that is potentially going to win the game. So talk to me about him facing Tyler Danish. What is it? 0-1. The first pitch is a curve. 0-1. He hits the sinker, and they're off to the races. Just, just forget about the count. It, it is sometimes when you're put in positions that you're not used to being put in, you you think you have to force routines. Like you you have to figure out ways. You you had to figure if you were Kirk sitting over there that sometime in that game, close game, you're getting at a bat. Well, what do you do? How do you prepare yourself? Well, you look to me like he didn't do anything. <laughs> he just sat over there until it was sort of time that he thought he might get in a bat. He got up. You could see him putting his batting gloves on. You could see him. You're talking to a hitting coach, I believe, flipping through to figure out what certain guys were going to throw to him, how the the release point was on sort of the sinker ball guy from Danish. For me, anyway, whenever I tried to do it, I had to eliminate my lower half because I had an out and around. I had a cast swing. Sometimes my swing was a little long. It was out and around. How did I have a direct bat path to give myself a chance to hit velocity? Because when you're pinch hitting and you got some power, there's a reason why you're doing that late in games. And normally you're facing guys with high octane. Now, Kirk wasn't. He was facing some odd arm angle kind of guy, which you had to keep your front side in. You had to be more direct. Is he, is he changing anything? Absolutely not. Just get a good pitch to hit and let your bat-to-ball skills take over. The barrel's going to the baseball. You let the eyes finish, which releases your 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 hips enough to, to get the head out. It's what Alejandro Kirk does. And he started the rally. It just seems like when he walked to the plate and he did something special, the bench sort of said, here we go again. It's like... Groundhog Day. He's it, just going to go up and have an, an unbelievable bat, do something good, get the team started, give them confidence that they think they can walk that thing off, and ultimately they did. Yes. it. Uh, if you're in the ballpark, if you go to any of these games, tonight's game or any of the games this week, or even watching on the TV, just keep an eye on what happens to that bench when Alejandro Kirk comes to the plate. It's something you've talked about it a bit. And I noticed it last night. I mean, that bench, first of all, we we know there's always stuff going on in that bench, especially when they're winning. They're great front runners. They're great front runners. They mm-hmm. have more fun. You know, when they're winning, it's like, it's like, I mean, they had the Cirque du Soleil last night, mm-hmm. pregame stuff. That's what the, the Jays dugouts like when they're winning. It's like the Cirque, mm-hmm. du, Cirque du Soleil with all the stuff going on there. But man, when Alejandro Kirk steps up to the plate, there's an expectation that, oh, there's an expectation he's going to get on base, first of all. Um, and, yeah, I, I, again, it was Vladdy, you know, Vladdy called a shot last night, called a shot. He told Charlie he was going to get a, he was going to, going to win the game for mm-hmm. them. He was going to get a hit. Um, which I believe is the second time he's he's done that. It's a second career walk off, the third of the year, third of the year for the mm-hmm. Jays, where he's kind of called his 
called a shot. I think that's funny because and I do what, believe what, guys what do, do you, that. By the way, what do you think way. he's gonna say? Yeah, nah, I'm, I'm good. I'm gonna get an out here. I'm gonna get an out. Yeah, I'm just gonna ground out. Charlie, I Charlie, yeah, I, let's bunt. Like, let's bunt. Uh, but anyhow, he. Uh, <laughs> but you can tell that that Kirk got on base, and I was sitting in the booth with with Caleb and uh, and Wagner. Honest to God, we knew they were gonna win. Like we did. Kirk got on. Zimmer's pinch running. Yeah. We just you you could see, and then of course the walk, and now and now you could see Hansel and Robles coming in, and you just knew what this was set up. Yeah, we kind of bounced back and forth with Bo. Wouldn't it be funny if they decide to? They're not going to bunt with Bo. No. They're not going to bunt with Bo. But uh, yeah, that uh, and and we saw the camera shot of of Vladdy going towards the coaching staff, and you know pointing to the ground in our house or mm-hmm. my house or mm-hmm. whatever he was saying. I don't know if folks saw the reaction of the Red Sox players walking off the field. Mm-hmm. Xander, Xander Bogarts in particular, he, they looked like, I mean, they just looked like someone had absolutely, absolutely ripped their heart out. Now, it's, I'm not saying that the Red Sox are going to roll over or anything like that, but, Kevin, you know, it, it's June. There's still a lot of baseball left to play. But if you're the Red Sox, what are, what are the Jays now? Are they 7-2 and two against the Red Sox this year or something like this? I mean, they're already going. They can't beat Kevin Gossman. They, they, they got no clue against. I'll tell you what, the Boston Red Sox to a man right now are thinking, Jesus, if we face these guys in the playoffs, we're some screwed. I yeah, think I'm the not, Jays I'm are not really sure about in their that. Head. What they they got some veteran guys on that team who've been there and done it before. I'm not sure they're thinking that. I I think they think just like the Jays think, get in the playoffs. <laughs> Let's not overthink this and 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 think too long about it. Let's just try and worry about that game and worry about winning that game. But it is demoralizing when when you have a lead on the road, a game that, that probably shouldn't have to and, lead in, and then your bullpen comes in and gives it up. It is demoralizing. And, and like look, it is, uh-oh, the bullpen's not real good. And, and, and look, 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 look they're at, thinking. And look what the Jays did. They didn't have anybody warming up. Romano was going out for a second. He would have had to go out for the second inning if they didn't win it. I mean, Charlie well, had to use Romano. In a week. He hasn't pitched in a week. I know, so. but still, you're, clo- you're using your closer at home down by a run, the day after your starting pitcher has given you seven innings, it, it normally that wouldn't scream crisis. Normally you wouldn't do that, but yeah, and 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 you know Romano, you're right. Was that a sixth appearance this month? Yeah, it's pissed a lot, which is just odd. It's, and I don't, and you know what? I don't think that's all kind of the way the game has been going. And I we, don't either. I'm, Something's up there that we don't really know about. I'm not buying that. Yeah, looked like it was coming out hot yesterday. Maybe, maybe they'll start using him more. Maybe they'll have to use him more. Maybe. I mean, we, the the, uh-huh. the ballpark had him. The ballpark gun had him at uh, ninety eight. The second pitch to uh, Ref Snyder, ninety eight. The second pitch to Devers, ninety seven. And then after the ninety seven, well, uh, Bogarts was ninety five, ninety seven, ninety six, and 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 then the uh, and then the slider. So yeah, the velo the velo was there, but that's. He's not mechanically sound. A lot of the times, the slider's not breaking a ton. If you're facing him, you eliminate the slider. Like, you, you you get the foot down in an athletic position to hit velocity. You look right down the middle with him. Sooner or later, he's going to groove you one, and that's the one you don't miss. That you At least give yourself a chance mm-hmm. to hit that. But the velocity was there. That'll give you hope that maybe he can maintain that because the 94-95s scare you. Like, that. Yeah. that's not going to play late in the season. That's not not going to play against in the playoffs Devers, when Devers, they do Martinez, make it. Martinez, and Bogart It's tonight. not going to play not when playing. you're facing better teams who are going to control the strike zone and force him on the plate 
and 94, 95 is not going to play. That's a worry, too. The bullpen's the biggest worry as it is with the Red Sox. Like, there's no question going out of yesterday. Charlie's not confident in what who he's going to. I'm assuming that's why he's using David Phelps up 7 nothing in the eighth inning, facing the top of the order for the Red Sox. Why is that? Okay, that, that's a, let, that's another question you have to ask yourself. Is it gets back to you got to win game one to sweep? I okay, get it. but let me let me also throw this out there because we we do have to mention that the in the two games leading up to that game, that seven nothing game where he had to use Phelps, he, the bullpen was shredded because Kikuchi and Barrios didn't give them length. So that the the point is, I I don't. I don't th- I'm sure that was the only decision Charlie could make then. The point is this bullpen shouldn't be that thin. And yeah, I look, I understand if you get two starters and they and back to back and they they both of them don't make it out of the 4th inning or the 5th inning. Yeah, it's going to create issues for your bullpen. But that's why you go down to AAA and have a guy at AAA you can bring up. You know, I, I don't understand why the Jays went into this series. Thank God for Kevin Gossman. It's a big series against the Boston Red Sox mm-hmm. and the bullpen is shredded right now. And, you know, they've got Sergio Romo here. Apparently, I guess he was getting his medical yesterday. He was he threw in the bullpen yesterday for Pete. I, I mean, it, it really is, it's just a combination of things. This guy isn't available in this game because I had to use him in the previous two games. I, 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 I think that what we have seen in the past, Four games has simply been Charlie and the coaching staff just trying to like, just trying to get through this. They're trying to get through this, and you know I think last night was one of those things where it just they they ran out of answers. There's nothing left. There was literally nothing else they could do, and it's not their fault that they've got some guys that they're not comfortable with. That's not on them. That's on the front office for having having guys that having guys that your manager and pitching coach don't want to use. In a game against a team, you got to beat ultimately to get in the playoffs. Gets back to that thing too. Would yeah, you would you have let Ross Stripling go out for another inning? I, I say no. Eighty-one pitches is enough. Nah. you're facing the middle of the order, the big three I'm for a you. third time. You don't you don't push your luck there. And let's be but clear, you have to have better options to go to. Yeah, but we had no problem. You got to go with if you're not gonna if you're not gonna send Ross out there, you got to go with Simber, you got to go with Simber. Was the there. right answer Simber because of who right they answer. were about to face. Right. But right. after Simber, who are you going to? Yeah. like Jordan Romano, does that ooze confidence? When you give him the ball, he doesn't pitch enough. You really don't know what you're going to get because you never see him. And Tim Mace is having all of a sudden now it's not sinking. The location's not there. The slider doesn't have break on it. Like there's, boy, it, it just for me right now, it doesn't look like a championship bullpen. How's no. that? No, it it, it really it doesn't. Really doesn't. Uh, we'll let, let folks know what is uh, coming up. We've got more tickets to give away for the July 2nd game, for the second game of the doubleheader against the race. So that's a Saturday night game. That's a 6-10 first pitch. And uh, we've got tickets to give away later on in the show for that. Tom Glavin, Hall of Famer, will join us at 10-30. We want to talk. We've, we've talked a lot about pitchers making adjustments in season and in game with this team. It seems like that's all we've, it seems like this is, I know this is a game of adjustments, but this year it seems like it's a season of adjustments. For Blue Jays pitchers, we'll talk to Tom Glavin about that. Will Middlebrooks of Ness and CBS Sports will be along as well at 1130. We'll uh, talk a little bit about the Boston Boston Red Sox, and I'm sure Will will have some thoughts on kind of where this team is right now and, and and you know, what how this thing with 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 Tanner Houck is is uh, handled is handled moving forward. 
I want to talk about something we didn't get to last night in Blue Jays talk, and I made a note about it because I think it's fair. When you spend part of the day talking about why a guy isn't hitting or why a guy's scuffling, and then the dude goes out and gets two hits, one of them an infield hit, I want to talk a little bit about that, about Santiago Espinal and what we saw yesterday. Now, I don't know if this is the first slump of his career, but let's just say that that hot start has cooled down, which is going to happen, Mm -hmm. which is going to happen. He gets on with, and we're all thinking the same thing, gets on with an infield hit. How do you get out of a slump? A lot of times you bloop or something or something good happens to you. Two hits for Santiago Espinal last night. Did you see any... I want to deal with this briefly because we talked about it yesterday. It changed in approach at all or any any anything, not, anything not re- different? Not really. It looked to me like he's used his legs a little bit more. Again, it gets back to that. He, he'd put a lot of work in the offseason because he knew the grinds of a marathon. Is He's never been through it before. It's a big it's a big deal. And then you add the, the mental part of it of expectations. It's a big deal. Like when you're a starter on a team that's expected to go as deep as the Blue Jays are expected to go, there's a lot comes with that, and and the, the, just the grind of that off the field, the conversations he's had with Matt Chapman and Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Teoscar Hernandez and George Springer, you can tell he's trying to figure it out on the fly here, and that's not always the easiest thing to do. And you got to remember too, he's facing some elite pitching. Like now, there's game plans against him. It's just not. Let's see if he can hit a hater. Mm-hmm. He's getting breaking balls and fastball counts. Like, they know that he's got a little idea about bat path and can keep it in his hitting zone. Like, he is a short to it, long through it guy. And he contributes that a lot to his lower half. He's stronger. Looked to me like yesterday he used that. Let the ball travel a little bit more. He was a little bit more compact. He was thinking up the middle the other way with where the balls were going. I just think, for me, he's figuring it out on the fly. We We shouldn't look at you know, expectations Uh of what it's going to look like at the end of the season. Just appreciate what he gives you on the defensive side of the ball, how much he protects Bowie does. I mean, let's be honest, he does. That allows Matt Chapman to go wherever Matt Chapman wants to go, which Espinal now can go into right field. He can play deeper in the hole. (laughs) He can do a lot of things. He's good at moving his feet around. He's good at throwing on the run. He's accurate. He's got a strong arm. Let's focus in on that. Mm Mm-hmm. And just appreciate when he does give you something offensively that he's giving you something offensively. And like the fact that he does not appear to ca- have carried it into the field. He's not. I'll tell but you. But there is a thought process into it. I've had conversations with him. I know moving him around the times he had to play third base, that was a deal. It's just that mental thing of, uh-oh, now i got to figure something else out and still perform offensively. That's a big deal. Like, that's not the easiest thing to do. To me, the telling thing about Santiago Espinal is – the last two times that the Yankees and Red Sox have played the Jays, both Aaron Boone and Alex Cora have name-dropped him just in, you know, general baseball conversations you have with the manager in the dugout. You know, they're answering questions about about something. And, uh, you know, the other day it was uh, Cora talking about Trevor Story's defense. And I was just like that kid out there, just like Santiago Espinal. You know, you get to a point when the guys in the other dugout are aware of you and they start sort of name checking you that that tells you that well, you're in they're thinking of you. you're not just the you're not the guy in the hitters meeting or the pitchers meeting where they go okay we got uh Goriel would do this Chapman would do this Espinal then we got Moreno coming up you're not I mean they're they're talking about you they're aware of you now I like that he understands by listening to him talk by the conversations I've had by listening to him me have conversations with people that have talked to him about what he's going through he knows what the issue is and that is like 90% of the battle. I know when I remember when I played, it was very hard for me to figure it out. 
quick. Like it was, it was, I thought it was this, but it could have been that. Right. He knows what it is. Like he knows that it's the grind of it, that he's a defensive player first, that they're flipping in breaking balls and fastball counts, that I don't believe this, but it has been made, you know, drawn to his attention that the strike zones are a little bit bigger against him. Woe is me. I'm not that guy. I think you make adjustments. I think you go up and, and hunt certain pitches. And when you get them, this is sort of a one pitch at bat kind of thing where hmm. you're not going to get more at bats now because the word is out that you can handle the bat a little. So now we're not going to see if you can hit it. We're going to pick at you. We're going to see if you'll chase. We're going to give you a breaking ball and a fastball count. And it's up to you to make that adjustment. And now he understands that, and he's trying to adjust to that, and that is 90% of the battle. For me, I don't worry about him. Yeah, I'm with you. I just I don't think it's fair to lead him off. That's not him. It's too much to ask him. Even if George Springer's not in the lineup, figure other things out. Put Toppy up there. Don't put him in the leadoff spot. I don't think that's fair to him because all the – power right-handed pitching that they face. Mm-hmm. And so if you put him at the bottom of the order, tell him to go out there and be a great defender, and what you give him, what you give us offensively is good enough, that takes pressure off of him, and you will see the results offensively and defensively. He's a good base runner. They can win with him being the everyday second baseman. Can we all raise our hand and agree oh, to hell that? Yeah. Then Absolutely. there it is. Then the, be happy with that because they're a better defensive team. They're going to catch the balls they should. I know whenever the ball is hit somewhere around him, I don't pay no attention. I know, I know, he's, I know that hitter's out, and that's all you want from the, from him. I think. Yeah, it's. Uh, I had a conversation with Matt Chapman yesterday for uh, an article I'm I'm doing, and he, he was talking about the Blue Jays and their infield defense, and um, it, it's when you really take a step back and and think of where the Jays infield was and who was in the Jays infield three years ago. And we talked about this with Bo and Vlad, uh, with Bo. The number of different third basemen he's had in his career, the number of different second basemen he's had in his career, he's had a lot of guys. Now, Marcus Samian settled the second base situation last year. But, I mean, I I, I did the numbers. I remember doing, doing the numbers. There was, there was a lot of guys. Double-digit third baseman beside him, double-digit second baseman beside him. This is... I, this is an infield you can grow with. You know, it, Bichette, Espinal, Guerrero, you're going to have that infield together for four, four or five years, hope, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And you've got Chapman locked up for a couple of years. It's, it, it is really one of the best all-around infields that, I, that, that I've seen this team have. And they, they have had some good infields, but this might be the best all-around, top-to-bottom defensive and offensive infield. Since I've been covering this team, they, they work really hard. Where Bo's looked uh, like a year ago, where he's at now, yep. uh, where Santiago went from. Vladdy. Vladdy looks confident and wants to play first. Matt Chapman is, you know, the second best defensive defensive third baseman in baseball in my mind. Sure. So it's you, the, they have a championship defensive infield. Yes. How about that? Hundred percent. I mean, it's hard to argue and, that. It's hard to argue that. There'll be some people that say Vladdy's mm, not good enough first baseman yeah, and Bo you know, is not a good shortstop. I think with the people that have, that are around Bo, that takes pressure off of him. He has more fun. He thinks he can make plays now that he couldn't didn't think he could make a year ago, which is a big deal. If you believe you can make them, most of the time and, you will make and, them. Analytically, you're going to come up with, you could come up with, sure. a, with a better infield defense. I mean, you could. I, I, I'm sure you could. But 
is it good enough to win? Is it good enough that you're in the playoffs, it's a one-run game, it's the eighth or ninth inning, and the ball's in play in the infield, is it good enough that you're not going to be going, oh, Jesus, absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. And uh, and, and that's, you know, that, that's, that really is something. I, I was just, you know, I was thinking the other day, going back and looking at that, uh, the pandemic-shortened season, the way that that playoff series ended <clears throat> against Tampa Bay when Bo made the errors and, we were talking about, well, is Vladdy really going to be at first base? And remember, Vladdy was taking grounders at third base, and the thought was, Jesus, maybe he's sending a message to, like, all this stuff was going on with the uh, with the infield. And what happens if if Kevin Biggio can't play second base? And and they, this, the organization's really come really come a long way. And when you, and when you think about it, it's basically. Matt Chapman aside, it's kind of a homegrown infield. Dusty Baker used to tell me, you got to want to be a good base runner. Louis Rivera has beat into these guys' heads that you gonna you gotta want to be a good yeah. defender. You gotta want to be on the verge of being a great defender. And for me, all four of those guys want to be great defenders. Yeah, it's uh, we're gonna talk to Tom Glavin in a few minutes, and I want to ask him about because he he covers the Braves, and we talked last year about the work that Ron Washington's done with the Braves. Sure, the Braves have turned into a terrific defensive team, and a lot of that is a result of. Ron Washington. And when we do talk about the Blue Jays defense, we have to mention as well that when Danny Jansen's back behind the plate, you've got a potential gold glove catcher behind the plate. That's that's pretty good. Speaking of Danny Jansen, I want to get to this uh, business end of the show before we break. Uh, Danny Jansen telling Ben Wagner, well, Charlie saying too, that uh, Jan, uh, Danny should be, could be rehabbing at AAA this, later this week. Uh the sense is that he might be able to join the he'll certainly join the Jays next week, knock on wood, if mm-hmm. everything goes according to plan. Uh, at some point in that road trip, he's taking BP, catching the ball yesterday, doing stuff, didn't appear to have any any issues. I asked him how he's how he felt yesterday. He said it feels great. You know, it's basically I think he's ready to go. Sure. Uh the other news, Nate Pearson uh isn't gonna pick up a ball for a month, essentially. That's and at better. that point, they're going to reevaluate him. So I, I think you talk to people around that team, you say, best case scenario for Nate Pearson, he may be up here in September. Best case scenario. Mm. So that's some of the uh, housekeeping. Sergio Romo, again, pitched in the bullpen yesterday before the game. Not on the roster. Uh, apparently, he had to go through. He hadn't had his medical, which I don't know if you haven't. I mean, I, I'm... I don't know if you haven't had a medical why you're in the bullpen throwing for the other team's Tremendous coach. Question. I I don't get that. Um yeah, I, I just don't get it. I would think there'd be insurance issues. I don't know. But the point is Sergio Romo is here, he is in town. Maybe he'll be activated uh for tonight's game. We certainly anticipate that he will be activated if if he's if there's no issue, you certainly anticipate that he'll be activated for the race series. Uh, and again, the Rays are in town tomorrow for the first of five games, five games against the Toronto Blue Jays. Tom Glavin is a Hall of Fame pitcher, Braves analyst. He'll join us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
probably know by now that there will be a doubleheader at the Rogers Center on Saturday. I think it's 12.07 and 6.07. Does that sound right? 12.07 and 6.07 on Saturday. I've got a pair of tickets. We have a pair of tickets. Pardon me, because I don't want to... Not my show. It's Blair and Barker. I don't want to... We have a pair of tickets to give away for the second game of that doubleheader in July 2nd. I listen until you talk. Against the Tampa Bay Rays. We will be giving that away later on... Well, you'll have to listen. We may give it away later on this hour. We may give it away. Did you go buy some tickets because you had some idea that you were going to give it to the worst answer. Yeah, no, I'm no, not, not the worst tickets? answer. I was going to give it to the best wrong answer. In other words, the the answer to the trivia question that wasn't right but kind of made the most sense because I wanted to reward people who were thinking about it instead of just going on Baseball Reference and pulling it up. Huh. I think it's a great Get idea. Get off your wallet, buy some tickets. Uh. The Atlanta Braves, uh, look, we we focus a ton, obviously, on the AL East here. And uh, I knew that we were going to have Tom Glavin on today. And I was thinking, I'm thinking to myself, man, it seems like the Braves are in a pretty good run. And they they beat the Phillies 5-3 last night. Mm-hmm. Matt Olson had second homer. I'm thinking, I think they've kind of, I think they've, they've been pretty decent. They've gone 20 and 5 in June. Yeah. <laughs> They've been really decent. Let's bring in Tom Glavin, Hall of Fame pitcher, Braves, Braves analyst. Tom, thanks so much for joining us. We've got we got a bunch of stuff we want to talk to you about uh, when it comes to pitchers making changes and adjustments in season because, uh, well, frankly, we've got a whole staff. There, there's a whole staff huh. adjusting stuff right now mm-hmm. uh, on this team, and it's probably not just a Blue Jays thing. But I did want to ask you about the Braves. 20 and 5 in June. Um, was there like, are are you a believer in maybe there's some sort of world series, world series hangover, you know, that it carries over into the next year? Cause I mean, I've talked to guys, I remember talking to guys in the Yankees. I've talked to guys who played in the NHL as well. And they always talk about, you know, the hangover isn't always a mental thing. The fact is you've played 20 games more than everybody else mm-hmm. to win the thing. And, you know, and then you spend the offseason celebrating the fact that you win it. And, yeah, you're kind of a little tired by the time the season roll, the next season rolls around. Do you think there was any of that at work here? I mean, I, I think there is. And then you have to factor in the fact that uh, we got a lockout in the short spring training. Um, you know, and, and I think there is uh, something to I, – I don't know that I like calling it a hangover. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think we could probably come up with a better term than that, but um, I don't think there's any question that there's something to that. Like you said, you, uh, the fact of the matter is you've played a really long season. Um, a lot of guys uh, are not used to doing that. Um, you know, typically guys will go into the off season and they have a certain routine. They have, uh, you know, by this date, I want to start working out. By this date, I want to start throwing. And, and all of that stuff is thrown off and compressed. So, you know, I think for some guys, there is a little bit of a notion of, oh, my God, it's January already and spring training is six weeks away. And so I think it does sneak up on you. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that definitely plays into it. Um, as you mentioned, guys are tired. It's a long year. Uh, and then you couple that, like I said, with a shortened spring training. And I, and I think you kind of had to miss you for a perfect storm. Um, you know, and the Braves got off to a slow start, but they've definitely righted the ship. Yeah, and the other thing, too, of course, the Braves have had injuries. And, I mean, one thing we know about the Braves, as they showed us last year, they they are a resilient group, and it looks like that resilience is uh, is being tested again 
uh, is being tested again early early this year. Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, Freddie Freeman and, and the uh, and and you know this weekend the return of Freddie Freeman to Atlanta, and then of course subsequently you know yesterday Freddie Freeman announced that he was leaving his agency and and. You know, Tom, usually when a guy leaves and comes back, that first game back, everybody celebrates his return. He's getting a World Series ring. You, you, I think you kind of hope if you're a fan and if you're a fan of the Dodgers or Braves you, and players, frankly, I would think in both teams, Tom, you'd like some closure, I think, because this was a pretty emotional decision at the time it happened. Has... Is there, is there closure to that thing now? And would that concern you if, for example, if you were with the Dodgers, the fact that it just, you know, doesn't seem as if the whole bow was put on Freddie Freeman's career with the Braves? It, you know, it's hard. Um, you know, I mean, I go back to my own experience. Um, you know, when I ended up leaving Atlanta and going to the Mets, um, you know, there's a lot of emotion involved. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, when I went back to Atlanta, for the first time, I didn't quite get that reception that Freddie got. Um, so <laughs> yeah. it was, uh, it was a little bit, it was a little bit different, uh, you know, to the point where my wife and kids had to leave because it got so bad. But, mm. um, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, there's, there's always emotion involved. Um, there's, there's always, you know, I, you know, I don't, I don't know that you ever stop searching for answers as to what happened, why it happened, how you could have done it differently. Um, you then walk a delicate balance of the team that you left and the team that you're on. Um, because, you know, let's face it. I mean, a lot of people don't quite get the emotion of leaving a team like Freddie did or like I did. And while you're happy with where you are currently, there's still a part of you that didn't want to leave, you yeah. know. And, and that's a delicate balance. And that's a delicate balance to – make the fan base of your new team understand um, because inevitably there are going to be people who are going to look at it and say, see, I, I knew he didn't want to be here. I know he doesn't want to be here. Um, and, and that's not, that's not necessarily true, right? You can still, you can still, I guess, love the organization you left, kind of wonder what happened um, and know that your intentions were to stay, but at the same time, embrace where you are. I mean, I know that happened with me. Um, you know, I, I went through a bit of a phase of, you know, how did I get here? How did this happen? What am I doing? But then I really enjoyed New York, and, and it turned out to be a really good experience. So it's a delicate balance, but, you know, I'm not really sure what happened in Freddie's case. I've, I've you know, I've certainly not talked to him about it. I've heard several stories as to, you know, whose fault it was and everybody's looking to lay blame, but, um, just one of those things, you know, like I said, somebody asked me before that all went down and, and my, my answer was, listen, I don't know what's going to happen, but I can tell you this, the longer it goes on, the more emotional it gets. And when it starts to get emotional for a player, then you got problems. Tom, I want to ask you about making adjustments in season. Now, you you are you're a Hall of Famer, and and that's why you're a Hall of Famer because you could make adjustments quicker than than most pitchers could could make adjustments. There's a couple guys with the Blue Jays and and Jose Kikuchi and and Jose Barrios who need some to make some in season adjustments to to give their team a chance to win. And I want to ask you because you've been on some really good teams. Is there a fine line there between? trying to make, I don't want to say overhaul something and make yourself that much better 
and just giving your team a chance to win because there's expectations around your team. Is that a hard thing to do? And can most pitchers that you've seen, are they capable of doing that in season? Yeah, well, listen, yeah, there's there's a few parts to that, right? First of all, you know, thanks for saying that I was able to make adjustments. I wasn't able to early in my career, mm-hmm. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, you know, as as time went on and I got more experienced and I understood my mechanics a lot more, um, then I was able to make adjustments. I think that was that's the thing that I always try to tell guys that I do talk to at the big league level or even kids that I work with. It's it's listen. Whenever I do stuff with you or, or work with you or whatever, we're working on mechanics, and we're working on mechanics not necessarily because something's wrong. Certainly that's part of it. I'd like to see you do something better. But it's more about trying to give a delivery that's efficient that you can repeat and that you can understand. And because the more you can repeat your delivery, the better chance you have of throwing strikes and being a consistent pitcher. And the more you understand your mechanics, the more you're able to be your own pitching coach. And and. You know, it's like I said, once I got to the point in my career where I was able to really understand my mechanics and I had one or two checkpoints, I could make adjustments. Now, that's not to say that I always could. I mean, there were some days that's human. That's the human nature of the game. There were some days where I was on the mound and I was struggling and I knew what I was doing and I just couldn't fix it. You know, it's just that's the, that's the human element of the game. But the more you understand that, again, it's like I've always said, if if I – if I had to wait until the bases were loaded and nobody out and my pitching coach is coming out to tell me what I'm doing wrong, I'm already in too much trouble. Hmm. So if I can make adjustments to avoid that, then I'm going to be obviously a better pitcher. So that's first and foremost, understanding your mechanics. But in terms of making adjustments in season and things of that nature, look, it's, it's always a fine line, right? And, and I think for me, one of the things that always helped me throughout my career, again, as I got better, as I got more mature, I've said this over and over again. It's, it's an honest assessment. We get too caught up in the results, right? And, and, and even more so in my day than today's days with, with, with pitchers, you're caught up in winning and losing. If you win, you're doing great. If you lose, you're, you're not doing great. And that's not always the true story, you know? And I think you have to be able to honestly evaluate where you're at because let's face it, I could go out there and pitch a game where I'm giving up rockets all over the place and, and it's just that guys and I win. Or conversely, I can go out there and pitch a ball game where it's, I'm making pretty good pitches, but there's a blooper here, a blooper there, and then I make a mistake, and you know, and, and you're like, what, what the heck just happened? But it, it's kind of like a guy who goes 0 for 4 with four line drives, or a guy that goes 4 for 4 with four broken bat singles. You know, which, which is closer to what you want to be? So you have to be honest about it. And I think sometimes guys, when things particularly aren't going well in terms of results, guys really have an urge, and I had it too, and you have to fight it. You really have an urge to, like, oh, my God, i got to start making all these changes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, sometimes you do, but a lot of times it's just a subtle little something that you have to fix. And I would venture to say, again, I know in my case, most of the time it boiled down to command and it boiled down to fastball command. You know, if my fastball command was off, even though I wasn't a power guy, it made my breaking ball and my changeup that much less effective because guys aren't worried about your fastball. Um, and then it gets to command too, where, you know, when we talk about command, everybody always goes to throwing more strikes and that's 100% a part of it. But the other part of it is being able to command an off speed pitch when you're ahead in the count and you're, and you're trying to get a guy to chase. Like your miss has to be the proper miss. Your miss can't be over the heart of the plate. You know, if you're trying to get a guy to chase, 
an O2 breaking ball. Well, you can't throw it down the middle. Um, so it, it, I think a lot of it goes back to command, and a lot of it has to do with your mechanics and being able to repeat that. But I think sometimes guys look at it and say, oh, my God, I need to change. I need to make wholesale changes, and I need to add a pitch, and I need to do that. And I think sometimes we can overcomplicate things. So that's a long-winded answer sure. to, yeah, you've got to be honest and, and figure out where you're deficient. And a lot of times you're closer than you think you are. Um, but then, you know, yeah, you guys are, are capable of making in-season adjustments. I mean, we all have to do it. It's just being able to recognize what that adjustment is. Tom, Tom as you well know, every baseball player, no matter if you're a pitcher or a position player, hitter, whatever the case is, routine is such a big deal. And I'll be specific when one certain pitcher, if you say Kikuchi has an issue early in games, whether it's that first inning, and for me, that's a routine thing. Did you ever go through where you had to adjust routine to be better early in a game? And was that hard if you Listen, did? I was, <laughs> I was the poster child for bad first innings. Mm. I mean, you know, it, it, was, it just was what it was. You know, and it almost became a joke. Um, you know, but listen, I, I did. I tried everything. Um, I tried my normal routine. I tried going out earlier. I tried going out later. I tried everything, you know. And, and I think sometimes, you know, like you say, there is, there is a little bit of bad luck or coincidence to it, you know. And I know in my case, because if I did have a bad – you know, if, if I did have a bad inning, it was generally my first inning. Like, I'm sure if I went back and looked at my numbers, my, my ERA in my first inning was probably my worst. So when you get that reputation, okay, well, that's everybody talks about it. So, you know, I could go out there for 10 games in a row and not give up a first inning run, but the next in the 11th game when I give up three, mm-hmm. inevitably it's going to be the, oh, here he goes again. Mm-hmm. You know, so some of it is a mental thing that, look, as much as we all try to ignore stuff as players, we hear everything. We know what people are saying. We know what's going on. If a guy has a bad, has kind of a history of a bad first inning, I can promise you he's aware of it. And and to be quite honest with you, that's part of the problem. Is you go out there and you're aware of it, and you go out there trying to avoid that big inning instead of going out there trying to get guys out. You know, so I, I think that for me was a part of trying to be better in those innings. It was inevitably I just you know I I felt like. When I was changing my routine, I was giving into it. And, and, and when I was changing my routine and giving into it, now mentally I'm taking that out there with me on the mound for the first inning. And I just felt like, you know what, I've got to prepare for the game the same way every single time and then change my mindset when I get on the mound. My mindset on the mound is I'm going out there to get guys out this inning. I'm not going out there to avoid having a big inning. And, and trust me, there's a big difference. You know, it's like guys who go out there to pitch to win and guys who go out to pitch not to lose. There's a big difference in that, and it's 99% mental. Yeah, Tom, you're right. Your ERA in the first inning was 458. Your career ERA in the second was 283. So you were right. The, the beauty of the Internet. Hey, listen. Yeah. Listen, man, thanks so much for joining us today. Good stuff. Oh, Be well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Take care, Tom. All right, you guys take care. I enjoyed it. All righty, take care. That is the great Tom Glavin, oh. Hall of Fame pitcher. He, he was right. I was, I, was that, I, I guess I can do that. I was looking at his, 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 his inning breakdown. First inning was 458, second was 283, <laughs> then 329. Uh, but he's a Hall of Famer. It's easier to say that to a Hall of Famer. Yeah, and it's, all, it's, remarkable, how, it's remarkable how consistent he was. Just funny that he the, was aware of it. 
and tried to change everything off the field to make it yeah. better, and nothing worked. Well, look, we uh, Joe Joe Siddle and I talked about this the other day, and we've talked about it uh, on the show as well. Uh, when when Joe Kerrigan and and the other thing I realizing now, got to mention Tom Glavin had Leo Mazzoni, Mazzoni as a pitching coach who mm-hmm. was like one of the you know he he was one of the the one of the real deep thinkers when it came to pitching coaches. And that whole staff was like, I mean, Maddox, Clavin, Smoltz. It was a staff of pitching coaches. Sure. I mean, it just was. I mean, they all went out golfing together because they had the idea that there were a lot of mechanics and a lot of thought processes in golf that, you know, they could could carry over to Mm -hmm. pitching. Anyhow, uh, but we were talking about when Joe Kerrigan was pitching coach of the Montreal Expos, he was famous. He, He would have guys... Throw. He would script the first inning. We're playing the Phillies tonight, so we're going to go into the bullpen. They're going lefty, lefty, righty. So we're gonna. I'm going to stand on the left side. I'm going to stand at the left side, at the right side. You're going to throw five pitches. We're going to script it as if it's as if it's a game, mm-hmm. and we're going to time it so that you're going to be pitching a clean first inning. You're going to get to see what. You're going to be throwing to a guy standing on this side, throwing to a guy standing on this side. You're going to pitch a clean inning. Then we're going to sit down like it's between innings. That's when we'll go out and 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 be with the team and yada yada. And and, and it worked. I it worked for guys like Pedro. It it just because you got it. You got a sweat worked up and you know they got at it. It wasn't. We're not. They're not soft tossing in the bowl. They're throwing. You throw your best heater. But for throw to, your first pitch, the best heater with to that Tom's first point, pitch. it doesn't work for everybody. No, it's trial and error, and you have to find what works for you. But it's the mental part of it that you got to buy into. What got me here? Yeah. What makes me a good pitcher? Is it changing all my routines because I'm having one one bad inning, or is the mindset that I got to go to the mound thinking I'm getting you out, and I'll figure everything and, else out? And that's a there's a fine line that you that you got to walk. It, it's and I, I, I'm I'm gonna say this. And I'm not going to say who told me this, but, uh, and it's not just you say Kikuchi. Guys have a lot of you know, the, the personal trainers. They they've they've got a lot of stuff going on. They've got their own ideas about getting ready. It's not not everybody has the same idea about how they get ready for a game. Some guys roll in, take the turn the clubhouse music on, go off, have a coffee, go over the reports. Mm-hmm. They're good to go. Other guys, it's not like that, man. You got to do a lot of stretching. Because I asked someone about Kikuchi going to the bullpen, and one of the things the guy said is, "Have you? Do you know what his pregame routine is?" I said, "I have no idea what his pregame routine is. I'm not in the clubhouse, and and and, and it was just it was left like that. So, you know, yeah, it's uh, you're you're you know, guys have got their own." That's the thing about baseball, such an individual sport, especially with pitching. Guys have got their own way of going about business. And sometimes you got to go up to them and go, you know, the stuff that got you that three-year, $36 million contract, kind of like you But to it's maybe, not the tri-league. Yeah, it's but, really not the tri-league anymore. Saying? It's to get it done league, and, and it's performance-driven. There, there, there is a side of right, that But if it. somebody came to me, Kevin, and, and gave me $36 million, and then... Two months later said, 
we'd like you to do this a little. But but there, there's a reason why they're telling you that something's not working, yeah. and you need to adjust and figure things out. And that's why you give a guy $36 million, and you think he can adjust quicker than a guy that you don't give $36 million to. That's why you give yeah. $130 million to, to a guy like Jose Barrios, because you think he can adjust quicker than everybody else can that's adjust, fair. and it shouldn't look like it's been looking consistently over and over and over again. And that's it. The Danny Jansen factor coming back, that for me will be the sign. When he catches Yusei Kikuchi and Yusei still looks like that bad, can't get the heater over, is just fighting it out there, then you got to figure something out. Until then, I don't really know what the answer is. And I don't think they do either. No. Well, and, and it'll be interesting to see when Danny does come back and catches him one time. Is he the... I don't really care what the button is that you want me to push. I'm pushing this button, and I'm giving it to you, and I don't care if he knows it, the guy standing on the on-deck circle, we're throwing it. We'll see how that goes because it's he just seems like sort of like Jose Barrios. They need sort of that guy to sort of say, here it is. Like, yeah. No, I know, but here it is. They sort of need that encouragement. And it, it'll be interesting to see how it looks when Danny gets back. And 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 then if Danny gets back, because I think Danny, for me anyway, is the best they got to offer behind the plate. He's the he's the aggressor. Well, there are now that okay. Ruben in Alberta uh, on on the text line has pointed out, and uh, Ruben is a Ruben's a good listener, good 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 listener, long time listener, and he likes taking me to task, which is fine because uh, he's respectful when he does it. And uh, you know, he said. Uh, sorry, Jeff, Danny Jansen might be better at calling games than Kirk and Moreno, but he's not better defensively. He's not better receiving, framing, or throwing out runners than either Kirk or Moreno. Uh, yeah, for me, it's not about that. It's about the couple of guys that he's going to face that need encouragement. That's it. Is Kirk, is Kirk one of those guys that can say, no, 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 we're not throwing that. I know what the game plan was, but I know how you look. That, for me, is the difference. I get the calling and the and the trying to trick the, the guy that's blind, that's standing behind you. I get all that. That's a big deal. All that is what goes into how you set up and how wide you are and going to one knee. I get all that stuff. But sometimes you need a little bit of that enforcement. Yeah. Is that the word? Yep. I think. And I think Danny Jansen, for me, in any way out of the three, is the one guy that can give it to him. Oh, I got I just saw something on TV up there. We gotta talk about that. Uh we gotta talk about that later on. Uh we got a real good hour ahead. Not that the last hour was bad. We got a good hour ahead. Shy Davidi of Sportsnet joins us. Will Middlebrooks. I got tickets to give away to that second game of the doubleheader on Saturday night. And we got Barker's back lake bits. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590 the fan. Wherever you get your favorite podcast, and if you got a television set, you can watch us in 360.